If you got your Bible, we're going to the book of Exodus chapter 8, Exodus chapter 8, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. I'm praying you're having a great summer, praying you're feeling refreshed, reinvigorated, re-inspired, hope you're feeling ready for the next year. I want to let you know we're only four short weeks away from relaunching the city campus into the Michael Fowler Center. And uh, believing for a second wave, believing that God's going to do something incredible. And I, I just know, I just know God is not finished moving in the center of Wellington City. And uh, we're not going back there just for the sake of it. We're not going back there just because we've always been there. We're going back there because there are people that we need to win to Jesus who live in Wellington City. And the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. But I tell you what, in four weeks, the workers are on their way. We, we, we are not done. We're coming. And I'm also, I'm also believing it's a fresh season for our Hutt Valley campus here as well. On behalf of the city campus, just want to say thank you for having us. Thank you for opening your lives and your hearts and, and your buildings and, and every nook and cranny under this roof that we can find to put people in on a Sunday, um, including the forecourt. It's, it's just been, what a joy it's been to all be together. And uh, we still get to be together in our evening services in the city. But there's this verse in Matthew where Jesus says that if anyone welcomes a righteous person, they will receive a righteous person's reward. And, uh, and look, I'm not trying to say that the city campus is oh so righteous. I'm not trying to say that. But we're all righteous because of what Christ has done for us. A amen. Uh, it's, it's His righteousness imputed to us. He, he covers us. You don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we're so, what I am saying is Jesus makes us all righteous and you've welcomed us. And I believe that you're going to receive a righteous person's reward for the fact that you've welcomed us. And I believe that the Hutt Valley Campus is about to step into its greatest days as well. And if you believe it today, can you say a hearty amen? Amen, amen, amen. Exodus chapter 18, uh, sorry, chapter 8, chapter 8. We're starting a new series today in the life of the church called Endings and Beginnings. Endings and Beginnings. In fact, uh, we've written it up here on the screen. Uh, this part's actually upside down. Um, there it is. In endings. And then you have to loop back around. And Beginnings. There it is. I grew up watching Jim Hickey on, uh, on One News doing the weather. And over here, we've got some endings that very quickly, the Southerly's going to blow in some beginnings. And as you can see here, the endings represented by the high, which is the desert. And then the low pressure system's going to come in from the north. And, uh, and, be, and then he had that little clicker towards the end of it, you know, and he'd click, and then the scene would change. He'd click, and there would be an ending and a beginning. Oh, that was good, eh? Yeah, that was good. That was good. Now that I've fulfilled my lifelong dream of uh, being the weatherman, let's quickly read the Bible, eh? So glad we're here reading the Bible. I mean, you could have been anywhere today. You could have been reading a novel at the beach. You could have been at a cafe reading the paper. But you're here today, and we're opening the Bible, the most powerful book in all of human history, the word that sustains the weary. Exodus 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. Think little mosquitoes. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, 
This is the finger of God. Isn't that amazing? Let me just give you some context for, for just a few moments here. These magicians have one job and one job only. They are employed by Pharaoh to back up his preconceived idea that God is not moving in his situation. They're literally being paid by Pharaoh to convince him that God isn't actually trying to let the Israelite people go out of the nation of Egypt. Moses and Aaron are there to deliver the people from slavery, and Pharaoh's trying to hang on to his workers. And so Moses and Aaron start their duel, start their showdown. And for us in the 21st century, Moses and Aaron are a picture of God and the kingdom of God, the ways of God, the plan of God. And Pharaoh and his magicians are a picture of, of the devil and of, of everything that's evil in the world, everything bad that's in the world. In, in Christianity, we sometimes use terms like the flesh and the world. And we're not talking about, oh, every mountain and valley and ocean is bad, but it's, it's a picture of the enemy and his systems being bad. And like, not, not all of our flesh is bad. I mean, obviously, yes, I have been working out different ways to consume food over Christmas. That's what I've been working out. And, uh, and so, so Pharaoh and his magicians are having a showdown against Moses and Aaron. And they start by putting a staff on the ground. And Moses and Aaron, Aaron's staff becomes, becomes a snake. And then Pharaoh's magicians turn up, and many scholars and theologians believe that what they had was they had snakes that were inside tiny little hollowed out reeds that they'd got from the Nile, and they had snakes in there. They were ready. They were prepared. And so when Moses and Aaron perform a genuine miracle, and their staff that's made of wood becomes a snake, uh, then, then the magicians get their thing, and they throw it down, and the reed breaks off, and the snake runs around. But God's always trying to make a point about his superiority. And so Moses and Aaron, their staff eats the other snakes. And then they're like, yeah, that's right, Pharaoh, let our people go. And Pharaoh has a hard heart. So he's like, no, 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 no. And even though he's seeing one thing, he's not perceiving that thing that his eyes are seeing because his magicians are like, oh, nah, nah, not real. Then what happens is then there's the plague of blood and all of the water everywhere in Egypt, whether it's in the Nile, whether it's, uh, whether it's in like a pot or a dish or a water bottle, even if it's still at the store, all of the water becomes blood. And then the magicians are like, oh yes, Pharaoh, we have also made water become blood. Look, I have some here in a pot that's blood. See what I did there? Because God's already turned it into that. Then what happens is then the plague of frogs turns up. And Moses and Aaron make frogs appear everywhere throughout the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh's magicians are like, yes, Pharaoh, look, we have also made frogs appear everywhere here. It's like if something's already everywhere, and then you're like, yes, I have also made it. It would be like me right now taking credit for the fact that you've got good cell phone reception. Yes, and then I made cell phone reception happen. Like, it's just not real, eh? Like, what are you doing? And then God's like, nah, I need to make a point here. And God does what God often does when he needs to make a point, when he wants to make a point. He uses the dust. I love it that God uses the dust because God takes the most average, ordinary, sometimes even annoying thing in the whole entire world and he uses it to display his purpose. Does that remind you of anything? 
Man, I tell you what, I tell you what, we, we are all made of dust. We are all average, ordinary things until God starts to use us. Then we are able to do extraordinary, miraculous things that, 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 just, that just blow our own minds. It's amazing. And what God does is He uses the dust. He chooses the average, the ordinary, the simple to confound the wise. And what He does is He makes all of the dust turn into these living creatures, gnats. And where there was no life, he creates life. And Pharaoh's magicians, who have one job, their only job, they're employed full-time to prove to Pharaoh that what God is doing is actually, not, is actually not something that God is doing. They're literally employed to prove to Pharaoh that God isn't real and God isn't doing anything. But then God creates life out of the dust and then Pharaoh's magicians say to Pharaoh, this is none other than the finger of God. And the people whose full-time job it is to testify about the fact that God isn't real end up testifying about the power and the awesomeness of the finger of God. Not his outstretched arm, not a full body press, just the finger of God. Because they can't replicate what God has done in this moment. They were able to, to produce counterfeits. They were able to try to replicate everything else that Moses and Aaron had done. Every other sign, every other symbol, until God used them to create life. And then Pharaoh's magicians were not able to copy it because what the enemy can do is he can offer counterfeits. What the world can do is it can try to copy the things of God, but what the world and its systems can never do is it can never produce the life of God on the inside of us. And what's true then is true today. The enemy has counterfeits, the enemy has copycats, the enemy has ideas, but only God can give us life in our lives. Come on, if you're grateful for a God who gives us life. Can you give him some praise today? The world can entertain us. It can occupy us. It can busy us. It can distract us. It can offer temporary highs. It can even offer meaningful pursuits, but only God brings us life. The enemy tries to imitate what God brings into our lives. And imitate though he might, he can never bring life. Life is full of imitations. Life is full of opportunities to try to create life for ourselves outside of the plan of God, but it never ends up working. There's artificial highs instead of a deep-seated joy. There's lust instead of love. There's entertainment instead of purpose. There's possessions instead of, instead of passion. There's the opportunity to look really good on the outside instead of actually being good on the inside. There's an opportunity to impress thousands of acquaintances or the opportunity to have a few real friends. And what the enemy does is he promises a lot, offers a lot, copies a lot, counterfeits a lot. And the way you can tell it's a counterfeit is it doesn't bring life to our lives. And that's why you're in church today when you could have been anywhere else. You could have been on a self-help retreat. <laughs> Self-help, eh? <laughs> self-help, what a great concept. If I could help myself, I wouldn't need a self-help thing, would I? 
I don't need self-help, I need Jesus. I need the God of the universe to help me in my life. Amen. But that's why we're in church today. That's why we're in church today. There are more entertaining places you could be. I reckon there are. There are more whiz-bang shows. There are more tricks up people's sleeves. Believe it or not, there are more talented production people somewhere in the world. I don't believe it, but someone told me. Uh, I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't fathom it. There are funnier people you could be listening to right now. There are, some, there are more qualified people you could be listening to right now. My goodness. But we're here in church today. And we're here in church today. What keeps us coming back? It's the fact that when we come to church, we receive the life of Christ on the inside of us. What's the difference between milk and cookies with the Neighborhood Watch group and milk and cookies with my life group? One of them is a lot of fun. And the other one brings the life of Christ to my life and I am better for it. And that's what keeps us coming back. You know, you can be alive, but not really living. Life really starts when you get to know God. It's hard to put it into words unless you've experienced it. The Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good. I used to try to explain to people how good it was to know God and to, to be in the presence of God. And I could never find words to describe it. I literally spent one, one hour at, at, at high school trying to explain to somebody how, how, how great it felt to be in the presence of God. And I, all I could come up with was it just, it's just like, mm, you know? You know, it's just like, oh yeah, it just feels so good. Like, like what? I reckon they thought I was bonkers. It's hard to explain to someone who hasn't experienced what it's like to have the life of Christ flowing through you. 1 Timothy 6 verse 19, it says to take hold of the life that is truly life. Not a counterfeit, but that's truly life. John 10 verse 10, this is Jesus talking. I have come that they may have life and life in all of its fullness. I want you to know Jesus didn't come so you could just have eternal life that wasn't going to be exciting. He came so that we could have life and have life in all of its fullness. A life lived with God is a life that's fulfilling, a life that goes beyond our wildest dreams. John 5 verse 39, I find this one really interesting. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There's a difference between reading the Bible as a religious motion and reading the Bible because we're trying to draw near to God. What Jesus is saying here is he's literally saying, it doesn't matter if you've got religious motions and routines in your life. What matters is if you're prioritizing coming to God to receive life. And there's a huge difference, it's a, it's a chasm between thinking if we just go through the motions, we're gonna receive the life of Christ versus actually turning up and saying, God, this is where I am at in my life and I need you in my life. I need your life in my life. I don't wanna keep you at arm's length by just skimming through the pages of your word. I am diving all in, trying to digest that thing, trying to apply that to my life because I know I need Jesus in my life. 
We have a new life in Christ. We have a real life in Christ. We have life the way it was meant to be lived. But I think our temptation as Christians, the longer we're walking with God, our temptation can be to try to replicate the life that only Christ can give us in and of ourselves without actually actively coming to Him to receive life. Our lives can hit this point where it sort of becomes normal to have God in our lives, to have the presence of God in our lives. You ever notice it's the people who have just met Jesus that are sometimes the most excited to talk about Him? Because if we're not careful, it just becomes normal. We have to stay focused on the fact that it is unbelievable. The most radical news in all of the world that God became a baby and walked the face of the planet, then died in my place for my sin. Wow. Every now and then someone asks me why church is so happy, why we're so exuberant. And I would also just like to just pause and say, come and watch sports with some people from Arise as well. And then, then, then you'll see we're not just exuberant in church, you know. Goodness me, wow. Some people in our church, watch them cook. You'll see exuberance there, my goodness me. But why are we so happy to be in church? Because we're just not over the fact that Jesus came for us. Like, wow, I'm just not done with that. I don't think I'm ever going to get over it. I reckon the day I realized was like, whoa. And I reckon my family were like, wow, yeah, this is great. Man, I wonder when he's gonna stop being excited. I'm just, I'm still there. I'm not over it. I'm just still in that spot. Like whenever I think about it, I'm like, what? Like Jesus, you came for me? Like he didn't need to. No one forced his arm. There was no obligation. He chose the cross for me. Like for you, I understand it. You're pretty amazing, but I really know me. I like, you know, we all don't deserve it, but I really don't deserve it. But Jesus came for me. Like, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not over it. I'm, a, I'm not over it. The temptation can be to try to live life in a normal sort of way that doesn't require the life of Christ to be flowing through us. This is the temptation. I reckon the longer we walk with God, the more real it gets. And as we're ending one year and beginning a new year, as new opportunities are coming to people in this room, I think we have to be careful. We have to make sure that as we're taking new opportunities, as we're starting a new year, we have to make sure that we're not trying to fill our lives with enough stuff that we feel alive on the inside. We have to make sure that we've got the life of Christ with us on the inside, and then we're gonna go and make a difference in the world because of the life of Christ that's on the inside of us. We have to actually make sure we're coming to Jesus to receive life. This was the first temptation that the devil threw at Jesus. He was fasting for 40 days and nights, and then he was hungry, wow. I love the level of detail in the Bible. It's just setting the scene. He was fasting, and then he was hungry. Okay, great, good to know. It's important. Because it's, it's really important context. We sometimes can think about Jesus and just think of his divinity. Because he's fully God. But he's also fully man. So he's got the full divine nature. 
but he's also got every weakness that we've ever had as people. So after 40 days and nights of fasting, he's hungry. And the devil turns up to him, and, and this, is, this is Matthew 4, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The temptation is, make your own bread, sustain yourself. Use your God-given ability. This is a temptation for us. Use your God-given ability to create a life for you that's sustainable outside of God. Could Jesus have turned the stones into bread and eaten them and still been fully righteous? Yeah, like I reckon. There's no verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't turn stones into bread. Like he wouldn't have been contradicting scripture at all. So why did he refrain? Well, I think he refrained because he's trying to make a point to the devil that he's not gonna cave. But also I think he was modeling for us a dependence on the Father, which is crucial to our Christian faith. He could have done it and be justified, but instead he didn't create his own system to do it for himself, to sustain his life. Instead, he modeled a dependence on God, the source of our life. Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed before so many miracles? Like, did he need to? I, I think he could have done it without praying. He's God himself. <laughs> why did he do it? He's modeling for us a dependence. He's modeling for us a life that's not self-sustaining. He's modeling for us a life that needs the life of Christ flowing through it. I think it's so easy to make ourselves so busy in our lives that we never, we never get to really confront how we're actually doing internally. I can't come and get real life. This is what people said to Jesus, because I've just bought a field. I've just got married. I've got a job that I have to do. I'm busy with my kids. I've got a whole campus to relaunch. I've, I've, I've switched now from scripture into my own life. There's always tomorrow. It's so easy sometimes to just say, you know what? I've got other things going on in my life other than my pursuit of Jesus. Hope you're okay that we're just being real in church today. None of these things are bad things. Maybe they're waiting till tomorrow one, you know, you can make a case for that not being great. Buying a field, starting a job, getting married, raising kids. These are not bad things. They're great things. If they're done in the right way, with the right intentions. But as soon as I switch over and start to say, well, I'm gonna get a sense of fulfillment and life from these activities that I've got going on in my life, instead of from my God, well, then in that point, it crosses the line where it's no longer a healthy activity in the way that I'm doing it. It just became a counterfeit. And we need to make sure that we're not trying to find life outside of Christ, outside of the life that He has for us. We can search the Scriptures. We can do good things, great things. But if we're not constantly coming to God in need of Him in our lives, then we're not gonna have the life of Christ flowing through us. We can't achieve our way to life. 
we achieve because of his life on the inside of us. So easy to think, oh, I can't spend time with God. I can't worship God right now. I have to be more productive. I don't know if anyone else has ever felt this temptation. It's an old one. It's from the book of Exodus. It's in Exodus chapter five, verse 17, when Pharaoh says to the Israelites, you people are lazy, and that's why you wanna leave your work and go into the desert to worship God. And the devil still throws the same thing at the people of God today. You don't have time to worship. You've got too much other things going on. You don't have time to make it to church. The pressure that you're under. Oh, you don't have time to be a part of a life group, to be a part of a community of people that are gonna provide life to you because you've got too many things going on. This is one of the enemy's oldest tricks. You have to be productive, not worship. And it's still a temptation that we face today. The scariest thing about this temptation is that it works. Like it really worked when, when Pharaoh said this to the Israelites. He gave them more work to do. And then in Exodus 6 verse 8, what, what Moses has done is he's gone away discouraged, gone to God, got the fresh life from God on the inside of him. He's got a word from God now about how God is going to deliver his people. They're literally about to walk into the most miraculous season since since the dawn of creation. God is about to move more powerfully than any other time since the flood. Like they're literally about to walk into this as a group of people. And Moses has heard from God and he's like, yeah. And he goes back to the people and he says, guys, God has spoken to me. These are the amazing things that are in store for us as God's children. And the Bible says that they don't listen to him because they're discouraged because of their harsh labor. They've got so busy now that when the word of the Lord comes to them from the man of God about the plan of God that is imminently approaching, it doesn't get on the inside of them because they've got too many things going on in their lives. What I'm not trying to say today is that we should do less things. What I am trying to say today is that we shouldn't think that the things in our lives give us life. There is only one source of life and it's our, it's our Savior, Jesus. It's our friend, He's our empowerer. God rewards those who seek Him. Let me ask you this question. What's more powerful, our productivity or God's reward for us seeking Him? I am yet to meet a person so gifted and talented that they are able to work and achieve more for themselves than what God is able to pour out into their lives as a reward. You can never work so hard or so effectively that you can do more than God's reward can in your life. It is impossible. You can never do it. I think about Obed Edom, and he was blessed because he had the presence of God in his life. So blessed that King David, the writer of so many Psalms about the presence of God, comes to his house to get the Ark of the 
covenant because he sees the blessing, the reward that is on his life because he's got the life of God flowing through him. I think about David. The Bible says about David that in everything he did, he had great success because God was with him. I think about Psalm chapter one, which if I can summarize it like this, says hang out with the right people in your life group and draw strength from God, study the Word of God, to meet with God, and in everything you do, your leaf will never wither, and everything you will do will prosper. Why? Because you've got the life of God flowing through your life. It is a miraculous thing. Oh, the weight that comes off the shoulders when we no longer have to make it all happen ourselves but we know that God is working in us and God is working through us and we're not just gonna live our lives based on what we can achieve, but based on what God wants to do through us. Ah, it's a relief. The weight comes off the shoulders when we begin to live our lives with the life of Christ flowing through us. As the band come and join me this morning, as we're entering a new year, there are people in this room, you've got new goals, new initiatives, new things. We have to remember, these are great, but we need to receive life from God so that we can sustain everything that He wants to do in our lives. More than a longer holiday, we need life from God. Oh, a week at the beach or a moment in God's presence. I'll take you even further. What about a week at the beach in God's presence? Amen, amen. Amen, we prophesy that for you, Shahan. Oh, goodness me, you deserve it. God rewards those who seek Him. In Revelation chapter 22, there's this picture of the throne of God and the city of God and a river that flows from the throne of God. And the river gets deeper the further out it goes from the throne of God. And the Bible says that on either side of the river, the river of life is what it's called. The river of life is flowing. And on either side of the river, you've got trees that are growing. And the trees, the Bible says, bear fruit every month. 12 times a year, there's a harvest. Why? Because they are planted by the river of life. I tell you what, a fruitful life has the river of life from God, not flowing around it, not flowing near it, but flowing right in the center of it. What an opportunity as we start a new year to center our lives again, to come back to our dependence again, not on ourselves, not on what we can do for ourselves, but on the life that God has for us. Can we stand to our feet all across this room? God is here today. I believe God's here today to refresh and restore. To refresh and restore. God is here to refresh. God is here to restore. It's the word that sustains the weary. Father, we come to you this morning. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
We're here today because we need you. The strongest place you can be in, church, the strongest place you can be in is to know your dependence on God. There's no more powerful position than on our knees. There's no better plan than surrender. There's no greater path to success. And to have the life of God flowing through us. God, we come to you today as your people, just as we are. We come to you without pretense. We come to you without trying to impress you. We think that our Christianity has never been about us making our way to you. It's always been about you coming down to us, meeting us right where we are. God, I thank you that you are the lifter of our heads. There are people in this room and your faith has been tested. Your faith has been on trial. There are people in this room and you feel like your faith was maybe once a, a, a thick rope and now it's, a, now it's a thin strand. And God is here to refresh and God is here to restore. There are people in this room and you're like, I don't know how I can do this year. I don't know how I can do this next season. My friend, God is here to refresh and God is here to restore. He gives us strength for today. As your days, so shall your strength be because we're not reliant on our own life that we can conjure up. We're not reliant on our own systems and processes. We are reliant on the presence of God. Oh, we're reliant on the one who refreshes the weary. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for your presence that's here today. We thank you for your grace that's appearing to your people. We thank you that you are breathing strength onto the, into the hearts of your people. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank